You're listening to the PK Experience Podcast, where I tap into the mind of today's impact players so that you can raise your game and become a greater impact player yourself. My name is Peter King. I'm the host of the show. And today I sit down with John Michael Morgan. John is an author, a trainer, a coach. Uh, and uh, stay-at-home business guy. I mean, he's a true inspiration. It was a great, great call, and I was very pleased because I uh, got into this call not knowing virtually anything about him. He was referred to me from a friend of mine in sort of a funny roundabout way, which we, uh, which I reveal on the call. But um, there's so much good stuff in this call. John uh, delivers a lot of great wisdom on how to become a better leader, to lead with more confidence. <coughs> Excuse me. And... Um, Again, it's a really great call. So um, if you would, I would really appreciate it if you could go to iTunes and download this episode and leave a comment, leave a a review. That would be phenomenal. I greatly appreciate it. Um, But here I am with John Michael Morgan. All right, I'm here with John Michael Morgan. So, so intense that you have to have three uh, first names for your name. That's pretty, uh, that's a strong triple name triple threat right there it's it, yeah it's either intense or i was destined to be like an assassin because apparently you know all of those guys had you know the three name thing going on uh yeah it's it's the curse of having the most popular name under like the just there's no other scenario like my parents were basically like what's the most common boring name we can give this kid let's give them all of them <laughs> just couldn't decide so uh, hell with it let's give them all three right in fact, i graduated high school with two other John Michael Morgans. What? Like, yeah. So it was just like from the start, I was like, come on. Thanks mom and dad. Like <laughs> nightmare. Uh, it's uh, uber competitive then you have to, you have to, <laughs> have right. to become, well, I'm in the same boat. Cause there's a lot of other Peter Kings out there. Like I have the Twitter handle Peter King, but there's a Congressman Peter King and there's a sports illustrated writer, Peter King. And every once in a while, I'll just get this deluge of, of mean tweets because one of them said something that their other, you know, counterparts don't like. Correct. So occasionally I'll jump on and kind of mean tweet back and have some fun with it. But. So the, my favorite thing with that is apparently there is a MMA journalist named John Morgan, and I'm also a huge MMA fan. So whenever I tweet about a fight, everyone assumes that I'm the actual journalist right. and I have people arguing and I have like all kinds of just retweets and it's ridiculous. Cause I don't know what I'm talking about. And, you know, I'm like, I think the big guy will win. That's, you know, my whole strategy. And people will get mad and they'll be like, have you not ever seen this guy fight? I'm like, no, actually, I haven't. You think I'm somebody else. And that's why you're upset. (laughs) Weird, weird world. Yeah, it really is. Um, So you and I kind of got connected in a, in a, uh, speaking of weird, in a weird roundabout way, I was uh, visiting Nashville a few weeks ago. I was staying with a friend and I'm texting back and forth with her and she's like, Hey, do you know this John Michael Morgan guy? I was like, the name sounds, you know, I'm sure I've heard of one of them, you know, <laughs> uh, she's like, she's like, no, he's uh he's great. He, he does this. He does that. You should have him on your podcast. I'm like, sign him up. So <laughs> next thing I know we're chatting. Yeah, we, and we are. So uh, I'm, I'm getting to know a little bit more about who you are, what you're up to, but uh, for my listeners as well, why don't you tell us all just kind of a little bit of background and what you're up to, what you do and how you help make a dent in the world. Sure, man. I have always been an entrepreneur uh, since I was a teenager, just of some sort. I think my parents own their own business. So I saw, you know, the freedom that can come with that. And at the same time, like they're workaholics. So I also saw like, okay, if I work hard, I can get this, but there's also got to be a smarter way 
you know, and do it. And I kind of wanted to carve my own path. Yeah. So I really um, always wanted to be my own boss. That was kind of the vision in the beginning, like in my early twenties, I started a real estate company mainly because I thought that everyone would think like, okay, he had a career, like, you know, you have to wear a tie and you know, it's professional and you know, whatever. Like I didn't really like it. I just was like, yeah, I'll do it. Yeah. Um, built that up and the branding and marketing that I did with that allowed me to build that company where I could sell it, but it also put me on the radar for a lot of other businesses out there and some like really big name brands uh, just, you know, all over the world. So I start coaching and consulting on branding and I'm speaking and doing all of that. But what I was really doing is often, as I'm sure your listeners can relate as entrepreneurs, we think we have a marketing problem or a sales problem or some kind of strategy, but our problem's actually all in our mind. Uh, you know, we've got self-doubt and we're sabotaging ourselves and bad habits and all of that. And that's really what I was helping them with that was making the difference. That was rooted in the fact that when I was young, uh, I suffered depression really, really bad, which sent me on this journey to actually save my life of learning, you know, what we focus on expands and understanding, you know, all of that and getting out of my own way. And while I still help people sometimes with the branding and marketing, a lot of times it's about the mindset. So I'm helping, you know, solo entrepreneurs to executives at big companies, anybody and everybody that needs help understanding, like, how do they finally break through to not just achieve a goal, but to start getting the results that they want. You know, mm -hmm. so the way I look at it is our thoughts create our actions, the actions create our results. So yeah. we don't like the results that we're getting. Let's go to the root of the problem. Let's get your thoughts right. Then we can work on the actions. Because what I saw, Peter, was like, I would lay out some great marketing campaign for somebody and then they would just screw it up. <laughs> because, you know, <laughs> their mindset was wrong. They had doubt and fear and just all these things. And I was like, oh my God, before we can do any of that, we've got to fix your head first. Right. So I do a little bit of both. That's fantastic. Uh, it's fascinating. Um, it's amazing how much uh, a business will reflect the mindset of a business owner. And you can tell just from the culture. Uh, I mean, there's times where I've walked into businesses or worked with businesses where you walk in and there's just tension, like mm -hmm. it's palpable. You can feel it. And then, you know, the owner will come in and you'll go, Oh yeah, no, now I see why, you know, <laughs> or, or, you know, it'll be, um, you know, super open and everybody's communicative, but there's not the risk taking. What Like it's just, it's a direct reflection of, of, uh, from top down very often. So yeah, that's Absolutely. fascinating. Yeah. I remember early in my coaching career, I had a fortune 500 company contact me and I was really excited, but I was also very nervous and they wanted me to spend the day basically looking over the shoulder and talking to their top executives and salespeople and everything to determine what was the problem with this company and why they weren't hitting some of the goals and metrics that they wanted. And after spending the day there and then we have this boardroom meeting the CEO is like, all right, John, what's the issue? And I'm like, actually, it's you. I was like, please don't hit me or throw me out of the room. But yeah. all the feedback I got, and I don't want you to fire anybody, but the problem is you. And he sat there for a moment. He kind of pushed back. And ultimately, I was like, listen, the pushback that you have, like, this is the attitude they're talking about. Right. Like, like I get to go home. I'm gone. They've got to come to work with that attitude tomorrow and to his credit he massively changed like a complete 180 wow. uh, which is not something that's even common for someone to kind of you know, i was gonna say take the punch that's pretty rare. And, and do it but he really did care about 
his people and results and things like that. But you, man, you're exactly right. Like I was sitting there the whole day thinking, I hope I find some other issue besides him, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> something else to give them. Uh, but you're exactly right, man. It starts like the top and then it just works its way down. And, you know, as a solo entrepreneur, we don't even put any thought into that. We're not thinking, how are we starting the day? And how is our attitude? And, you know, are we putting out the right kind of things and consuming the right kind of things? Mm-hmm. All of that has this massive influence on not just our productivity, but how the world responds to us. Mm-hmm. And we just wake up and roll into the day like eh, whatever, not paying attention to the fact that all those things matter. Mm-hmm. Well, there's the, um, there's the, the four levels of, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with it, the conscious competency they talk about, you know, the unconscious incompetence where you don't know where you don't know. So, you know, it's a fancy way of saying that you just don't know what you don't know. Then there's the uh, conscious incompetence where you're like, yeah, I know that I suck at, you know, web marketing or, or sales or whatever it is. Right. And, and right. that not knowing of what you don't know is often the blind spot. Right. So how do you, what are some of the big common ones that businesses have that you can help uh, share with, with the listeners uh, that might be sabotaging them in ways that they just aren't even aware of? Yeah, I think it, it, the main thing, and it's also extremely simple, which is why we overlook it <coughs> is that we're not paying attention to what we're really consuming. You know, these entrepreneurs, we're waking up and we're grabbing our phone before we've even taken a leak or done anything. And we're seeing what's new on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And you're now consuming a message based on what someone else wants you to consume. Not saying, wait a minute, what do I actually need right now? Yeah. You know, so what if you started the day listening to a podcast that was going to help you with a skill or knowledge that you knew you were working on or reading a book or whatever, then you can go do your social media stuff. I'm not like anti-social media. I'm as addicted as anybody, but I don't want to start that because so much of that is negative that you spend five minutes on it. Now you're in a bad mood and you haven't even rolled into your day to talk to coworkers or clients or, you know, anything like that. And Mm -hmm. we often feel drained and we're not sure why. Well, we feel drained because we haven't put anything positive into our mind. Instead, we've listened to people complain about, you know, traffic or uh, their boss or, you know, just whatever. And we hold all that in, you know, and it's, it's like, we don't realize that, you know, people used to say like, what's the thing like garbage in garbage out. It's like, no, it doesn't go out. It stays in (laughs) like our brain doesn't forget these things. It's somewhere inside there. So I think that's the thing is like, we're just not going into our day, our week, a project, an idea, whatever it may be with actual intention you know, to sit there and say, okay, wait a minute, what do I intend? So man, like I start, and I know this is like such a nerd thing to do, but I start every single day handwriting in a notepad what my intentions are for that day. Like, mm. I, and, and it's not a to-do list. It's not like this is what I want to get done. It's me writing out, how am I going to show up? Like, am I going to be confident and full of certainty today? Am I going to be present with my kids and my clients and, you know, all of that? Am I going to be fun? And am I going to joke with people? Like, what am I actually intending to bring today? Rather than sitting back saying, well, let's see what the day has in store. You know, uh, my assistant made a comment one time that I think she was making fun of me, but I've like worn it now as this like badge of honor. She said that most people spend their days putting out fires and I spend mine starting them. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, yes, that's exactly right. Like trying to live more with intention. Uh, Light fires under people, under under a market, under... (laughs) Um, 
Huh. That's really interesting. I've heard people say that before where it's not a to-do list. It's a to-be list, right? Like, right. who am I going to be today? How am I going to show up? So that uh, I'm with you on that, but I know there's a lot of people that are like, eh, John, that sounds great. Sounds great. But what are we going to get done? What are the results? So right. make the connection, draw the bridge between the, the to-be list, the intentional, the, the intentionality of one's day and at the end of the day, getting results. So let's take, for example, uh, Harvard and Yale one time teamed up for a study. And they rarely do this because the universities are very competitive and they, you know, fight each other and everything. But they had teamed up and the study they did was all about challenges. When someone is faced with an obstacle, what determines whether or not they overcome it or it just stops them dead in their tracks? And both universities determined that your attitude was the number one main determining factor in whether or not you were going to overcome a challenge. So let's take that for example. If you've not decided what is my attitude today, let me check this for a moment. Then when you get that negative email or you have a customer that, you know, the customer's not always right. Sometimes the customer is an idiot and they're driving you nuts. Well, your attitude is going to determine how you respond to that. Your attitude is going to determine what kind of marketing and content you create. Uh, you know, just these different things. I remember one time I was speaking at an event and backstage, there was a speaker there who was in a horrible mood. And all I could think is there's no way this is going to go well for this guy. And then he got up there and he did his presentation. And when he came off backstage, he goes, that's the worst audience I've ever presented before. I'm thinking, dude, like it isn't the audience at all. Like you were pissed before you got on stage, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like I didn't have that conversation with him, but I remember thinking like, dude, you were done before you ever spoke the first word. Yeah. So that's the thing is like, yeah, it is about getting stuff done. It is about being productive and we want that to-do list and we want to knock through the tasks and, you know, make sure that we're doing the right things. But so often we're not evaluating, are we even right for those tasks and mm -hmm. not just in a term like of outsourcing or delegating or those things, but there are certain days that I'm only doing creative tasks and I'm not talking to clients at all because I want to put on sort of that creative hat and say, this is the space I'm in. This is what I'm doing today. This is how I'm showing up. There are other chunks of the week where it's like, okay, this is client time and it's all about them and I'm not creating anything. I don't want ideas. I don't want opportunities or whatever, because I want to make sure that I'm in that zone that I need to be in for them or for whatever the task is. Yeah. So do you find that your intentions when you wake up in the morning are, I mean, how do you not wake up every morning and be like, I want to be confident. I want to be like, it seems like it'd be the same thing almost every day. Or how, how do you like, what, what's your barometer for checking in with yourself to find out what, needs to be the intention for the day? Right. It's a great, great question. I personally kind of do this ongoing state of the union on myself to see like where I am. And there, it does become repetitive. There are things where I know what my weak spots are. And you look at that notebook and you see the themes going across where it's like, okay, you know, I'm constantly mentioning this or that. And there are some days that I'm like, all right, just come up with something new you know, whatever. And some days I get very business specific where I will say, I intend to get a new client today. Mm. Don't know how I'm going to do it, but that's the focus. And so when I then go and sit down on my to-do list, I'm looking at which one of these moves me in that direction. And I'm going to do those first. Mm. And now I'm prioritizing my to-do list based on the intentions that I set. But that's the thing, man. I'll tell you, there are days I don't want to do it. 
I don't wake up and I'm like super motivated and I, I can't wait to write them out. A lot of times it's just a huge hassle and I just fly through it. But I will tell you when I start skipping days, I notice a significant decrease, not just in my results, but my productivity, my attitude, like everything. That's interesting. Are you familiar with uh, the morning pages? I think it's called. Yeah, I've heard of, yeah, I've heard of that. It's a similar th- thing in that you basically the second you wake up you start writing and it's not there's not the intention of even writing what your intentions are it's literally just stream of consciousness you're writing um when you set these intentions in the morning are you doing it sort of first thing so it's just fresh out or are you kind of getting going and then sitting down okay all right what is what is my intention for the day is it, is, are you that's more conscious great. in other words right. that's, a, that's a great question it's the first work thing i do okay but not like as soon as i'm out of bed I'm going to do that because, you know, first and foremost, I'm like, all right, let me get ready for the day. Uh, Let me work out. Let me, you know, take the dog outside. Like, let me do these things that I got to do before I sit down to then go to work. And once I've made the coffee and I'm sitting down at the desk, it's like, all right, now I'll do that. Now I'll go through like what that work morning routine is before I start rolling into, all right, like, What's my inbox got waiting for me? What's my to-do list? <laughs> you know, all of those things. Right. But I don't do it like as soon as I wake up okay. uh, because man, I can't even, I'm not thinking straight at that point. Right? Right. Well, that's kind of the point with the morning pages is, is like, because you're not, you, you haven't put those filters on yet. Right. There's, there's some interesting, I've talked to people that have said that it's been like life changing. Um, cause then you'll go back when you're fully awake and you'll look at it and go, Oh my, I can't believe that was there. There'll be insights there. Right. But anyway, um, so let's talk about brand for a second. What, um, first and foremost, how do you define brand for a company? You know, I, that's a, it's a great question. I think for me, the thing that I've seen both in corporate branding and then more like the personal brand side is it all comes down to feeling. And it's not how people feel about a logo or a company. It's really about trust. The thing that absolutely just rocked my world in terms of branding was when I saw that the largest brands in the world are not asking themselves the same questions that the small business owners are. You know, a small business owner and entrepreneur, it's how do I get more sales? You know, how, how can I get this opportunity or that? It's like, it's about getting those customers. I get it. Like, that's what's important but Google and Disney and those companies in the world, they're saying, how do we establish more trust? Because what they're realizing is that sales are in proportion to the amount of trust we have. Mm -hmm. So if you're an entrepreneur and you're wanting to make $400,000 this year, you've got to have that much or more trust established with the marketplace, like with your audience. Mm -hmm. And when you look at it that way, now your marketing shifts a little bit because it's more about, let me make sure that I'm establishing trust and, you know, doing these things rather than just, um, you know, where's the next sale? Where's the next sale? And that to me is really what branding all, you know, comes down to is that, you know, we can go anywhere in the world and order a Coca-Cola and it's not because we're in love with that brand. It's because we trust when we open that can, what it's going to taste like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know I mean? That's, you know, the thing. Yeah. One of the best, um, uh, ways that I've been been told to think of a brand is, and it speaks right into, it's adding on to what you just said, which is what are the three words that somebody uses to describe an experience with you? In other words, how will you be remembered? What feelings do you evoke for uh, right. for your customers? Which I thought that was brilliant because it, 
it forces you to think in terms of experiential and, and not, you know, goals and uh, profits or what have you. Um, so how did you, how did you get into all of this? Like you, you mentioned way back when that you had, you were in a dark place. Like what was the pivot point for you and how did you get into this line of work? So th- there was two things that had happened, um, both, you know, by accident or God, but, uh, the depression stuff, I was very much on my own. I was a teenager and my parents' response, and I love my parents, my parents are great, but their response was, you'll grow out of it. Like that was you know, kind of their way of like handling that, which meant that I'm now seeking knowledge and books rather than therapists and, you know, things like that. So I was reading books like Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill and As a Man Thinketh and, uh, you know, all this like thinking, okay, you know, maybe I'll find, I didn't think of it like I'm going to be successful. I just thought it would tell me how the brain works so I could, you know, get control of that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's certainly helped me later in life in my career, which was a nice bonus. Yeah. But in real estate, you know, what I quickly learned is, you know, I'm a young guy in real estate, an industry that's all about your network, you know, and who do, who do you know, who knows you and all that. And here I am, like all my friends, my sphere of influence, were, you know, high school dropouts. Like I had nobody that I was, you know, going to be selling houses to. And I thought, man, I need to figure out the marketing thing. Otherwise I'm not going to stand a chance. Well, thankfully it turned out I was better at the marketing than I was anything actually related to real estate. But what was happening is as I was doing that, I wasn't just standing out in real estate. I was standing out to other businesses. And so they started to see what I was doing and they were like, can you help us? Can you write ads for us? Can you look at our marketing? And I was like, you're paying me to do that? Cause like, <laughs> I'll do that all day long. <laughs> That's like way better than, you know, driving around all weekend, showing people homes. Right. Yeah. So I started doing that. And as the real estate business grew, I built a team where I wasn't even involved day to day. So I would spend my entire day on the phone with entrepreneurs all across the U S coaching them for free because I just loved it. Mm. And one day my wife was like, you should probably charge them for this. And I'm like, really? You think somebody would pay for that? And she was like, I think maybe they would. And I was like, all right. Uh, and so it was really funny. I'll never forget. I spoke at an event in Nashville, man. It was snowing that night. It was at a basement of some hotel. It was like the worst event you could possibly speak at. Really. There was maybe 11 or 12 people even in the audience. Right. Cause like, like no one was even out when, when it snows in Nashville, we all panic. We all shut down. It's like, you know, really pathetic. So I'm standing there and I'm talking about my business and I'm talking about marketing. I'm trying to give advice and all this. And when it was done, a couple of the people, you know, came up and were talking to me. And one guy goes to the back of the room where my wife was and says, does he do any kind of coaching? Mm -hmm. And where my wife is a million times smarter than me, she says, yes, he does. I'll have him email you his price list. Yeah. And so now we're driving home in this snowstorm and I'm like, I don't know what the hell to charge. I'm like, what are you talking about price list? So this is so embarrassing, but maybe the audience can relate. I sent this guy an email and I was like, there's three coaching options. And it was a hundred dollars a month, $200 a month and $300 a month. And he emails back immediately and was like, $200 a month sounds great. And I'm like, awesome. Like sucker. Like this is fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) And then like two days later, another gentleman at that event, contacts me and he says hey I didn't get a chance to talk to you but do you do any kind of coaching or consulting and I'm like man the other dude said yes really quick so I'm gonna play it a little different so I emailed him and I'm like I do $200 a month $300 a month and $400 a month and that dude wrote back real quick and was like $300 a month sounds great 
And I'm like, this is the greatest business I have ever stumbled across in my life. And I realized like, I'm not good at anything else, but coaching people like anything. And like, if your car broke down, man, like I'm not the friend to call. Like I'll cry on the side of the road with you, but like, I can't help that. I got other friends that are like building stuff and I'm like, you want me to come help? They're like, no, man, we're good. Like (laughs) we we don't need you to come. But this was my thing. And so when I found that I realized that even though the real estate business was profitable and was running so much on its own, it wasn't what I loved. And I Mm -hmm. loved the impact I was having doing this. And so I sold the real estate business and now I've been doing this over 10 years. Isn't it funny how the thing that came so naturally to you was your gift? You didn't have any value to it because it was so easy for you that it was just, well, yeah, just give it away. I mean, how often people do that? They just don't value their gifts and, 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 or devalue it to where, you know, they're, they're not putting a, a price tag on it or whatever. And uh, it's fascinating how it is. And you know, the, the longer you have a gift or a skill, the more you devalue it. You know, today, you and I aren't sitting here high-fiving each other because we know how to ride a bike. But at one point in time when we were kids, that was the greatest moment of a year for us. (laughs) That was the highlight. We've known how to do that now for so long that we don't associate any value to it at all. And we see that in our regular life. We often neglect seeing that in our business. You know, there are entrepreneurs out there that are brilliant at speaking but because maybe it does come naturally, or maybe you've been good at it for so long, you don't understand that people would pay for you to come speak at their event. Yeah. Or maybe you're great at writing copy or you know, doing things, like whatever it may be, the longer you know how to do it, the more you're like, yeah, who's gonna pay for this? This is easy. Right. Like, well, it's easy to you, yeah. you know, but that doesn't mean that it's not valuable. Yeah, so interesting. So you have, uh, what's the name of your program, Achiever, I think it is? Yeah. So the name of my business is called Achiever. And then I do, um, I have group coaching and one-on-one coaching and the group coaching is called Achiever Tribe. And then the one-on-one is Achiever Mastery. Um, so just the different marketing with the programs. And is it like personal development stuff or is it more uh, business oriented? It, it's really split 50-50. So in the tribe and the group coaching, we basically, we cover mindset and marketing and everything that falls under those umbrellas. And that can be, you know, paid traffic on one coaching call and then, you know, habits and those things on the very next coaching call. So it's a wide range on a one-on-one call. I'm trying to be an asset to my clients. So it's, what do you need most right now? And sometimes it is a marketing issue. Like, Hey, no one's responding to my social media content. You know, how do we fix that? So it's like, all right, let's dive into that. Other times it's, you know, entrepreneurs saying, Hey, um, I'm making more money than I've ever made before. And I'm terrified I'm about to screw it all up <laughs> and you know that. So it's like, all right, let's dive into that headspace for a moment. Um, that's what I love about doing this though, is for me, it never gets boring yeah. because from one call to the next, I don't know what we're going to dive into. Mm. You know, I may go from like true, like sales and marketing coach to therapist in a matter right. of three hours. Right. Uh, how many calls are you doing in a day? Uh, so I don't do them every day. I, uh, so I try to stack my days. So like Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays are coaching calls and I'll do anywhere from eight to 10 a day. Oh, wow. Uh, about how long per session? An hour. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a long day. It's a lot of talking. It is. It is. It's funny. Cause, uh, on Friday evenings, I tell my wife and kids, I'm like, 
Daddy's <laughs> done. Yeah. No more words. I cannot make a decision for anyone anymore. Yeah. So they're like, what do you want to eat for lunch on Saturday? I'm like, I have no more opinions. Like, yeah. I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, you just tell me where to drive and I'll eat something. Like, that, you know. <laughs> Yeah, because it, it can be exhausting, but at the same time, you know, going back to what we were talking about before, like, my Fridays are very intense, like, just all day of these coaching calls, and it's like a marathon kind of day, but when I wake up that morning, I'm in that frame of mind. I'm not worried about my social media. I'm not checking my email. I'm not worried about sales numbers and metrics. It's like, I am completely client-focused, yeah. and then I have 15 minutes between each call to grab water or coffee and just mentally reset to yep. not carry one client's issues over to, you know, the next phone call. Gotcha. What do you do if you're off that day? If you just feel, if you're tired, if you're not feeling well, if you're just feeling lethargic, man, that's a great question. Cause I haven't had that in a long time, but this is the cool thing about working with cool people. Like I don't want to work with a client unless I really love them and like see a potential for us to even be friends. Oh, that's a big part of it for sure. Absolutely. So if I, if I'm off 10 minutes into the phone call, I'm back because yeah. their energy, like it's, you know, at that point, even if it's just me running on adrenaline, <laughs> you know, that gets you into it. But yeah. yeah, man, I have that, you know, there are, you know, times I'm like looking at my calendar and I'm like, Oh my God, like this all day, like, geez, you know, and I'm trying to look at names, like what will be the easy call? You know, okay this guy's not going to have much like that'll be easy, you know, whatever. But then you get on that first one and you're like, Oh yeah, this is why I do this. Yeah. You know, I love it. It's just similar. Like I do a lot of public speaking and you know, you're going through the airport and the hotels and Ubers and the whole time you're like, why am I doing this? And then the moment you step on stage, you're like, Oh yeah. Like, cause I come to life in this little moment. Yeah. So it's worth, you know, all the other parts. What, uh, what do you give talks on? For years, I did uh, talks completely around branding. I had written a book called Brand Against the Machine. And so like that was kind of the bread and butter for a long time. When I shifted to talk a little more about mindset, what I realized is that the response people were having to those keynote presentations was deeper. You know, someone would come up and, you know, I'd get off stage, they'd come up and they wouldn't just say, hey, that was really good. Or we tweeted a lot of things that you said. It was they would come up to me and say, you know, I'm on the verge of bankruptcy. I know the problem is me. Can you help? Hmm. And like that, for whatever reason, those moments don't scare me. That's when I'm like, let's sit down and we're going to roll up our sleeves and we're going to create a plan for you. Like we're going to fix that. Mm-hmm. And, and so that was the thing I realized. So I still do talks on both. Um, but it, again, the audience reception you know, becomes very different depending on the topic. Um, I sometimes just having uh, a, a an ally when somebody's dealing with a breakdown moment in their life, whether it's bankruptcy or a relationship issue or a health issue or you know whatever. Like it's just there it seems to be there's very few people like yourself who are willing to even just listen and to really just kind of hear somebody out. It seems like there's a lot of coaches, a lot of consultants that are just trying to force their way of the world onto you as opposed to just like, let me understand where you're at and and where you want it to go. I'm so glad you brought that up because it's a huge pet peeve of mine, you know, because not only are the coaches doing this, they're teaching it to others. They're saying, you know, create your whole methodology and your whole framework and everybody goes through this program. 
And they're doing that because it makes the coach look good. But that may not be what helps the client the most. I had a client last August call me in tears. This guy's been with me for five years. Hmm. And I'm like, dude, like what's going on? And he had had his lowest income that month ever. But also he had had a death in his family that was someone very close to his family, like to his wife, to his kids, like in just a very tragic, you know, way too young kind of experience. And I reminded him, I was like, listen, your numbers suck this month but you've been an awesome husband. You've been a great father. You, you were succeeding in the areas that actually matter most. And this is a temporary season. Don't beat yourself up, you know, and only measure this by what that number looks like. Yeah. And I didn't realize it at the time, but listening to him and encouraging him in that way was exactly what he needed. And so far this year, the last three months, he has had record months. Mm every time and he like he's now back with an energy and a passion unlike I've ever seen in five years but he was ready to quit you know he felt like a failure and you know that bugs me because it's not his fault it's what a lot of people just put on these entrepreneurs of like are you hustling 24 7 and are you making you know this money whatever and it's like would you people stop that's not what success is dude it's it's so pervasive that um and don't get me wrong. Like there is of course a lot of legitimacy to that, you know, and, sure. and especially like for, for my personality type, like I need that kick in the ass. I need that like, <laughs> you know, cause, cause I'll, I'll get creative and I'll be, and I'll, you know, shiny objects and I'm like, Oh, we can do this. We did. And like, it's helpful sometimes to have a guardrail to be like, yeah. all right. Yeah. So, but what have you done? Like, let's go. Let's, where's the results. Let's, all right, yeah, 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 I got to get back into that. But, um, but for a lot of people, uh, it's a mindset issue. And uh, as the old saying goes, like rowing harder in the wrong direction isn't going to get you any closer. So it's, to me, the mindset is like the rudder. And, and very few people talk about, well, what direction are you going in? You know, yes, you can hustle harder. You could wake up earlier. You could do this, you could do that. But like, are you happy? Are you fulfilled? Are you achieving what you're ultimately wanting to achieve? Because if you're not, what's the point? Right. Well, and, and, and you, you just said it, which is like, if you're not getting the results that you want, doing more of those type of tasks, you know, working harder, isn't going to change those results. Right. You know, there's rarely a scenario where working harder is the answer. Now, if you've been completely lazy and all that, then yeah, you know what? Like I get it, but this is what drives me nuts. Like, cause I see it with like, you know, speakers and coaches and they'll be like, you know, you know, you know, step number one, you have got to work hard. I mean, that is not advice. (laughs) Like we all know that we learned that in kindergarten. That's not new. We all know that we have to work hard, but simply putting in more hours is not always the answer to whatever's actually keeping us from the results that we want. Well, and I think what looks like working hard for some people looks very, very different than others. Uh, there's times yeah. where, you know, you know, people have called me lazy before. I've felt lazy before. I've been like, oh, I didn't really, quote unquote, do much today. And yet when I, when I started to give myself a little bit of credit and looking back, because I will have, often have people come to me and go, oh, I never thought of it that way. Or, uh, you know, that was such really key insight. And I'm like, yeah, you know why? Because I sat around thinking about it. Right. What looks like to you, me being lazy, my mind is, is anything but like, I can't get it to stop. So like I'm working my ass off in my head, but oftentimes it doesn't have that outward appearance. Now I get it. Of course, like, yes, there is a time when you need to, 
put all of that aside and actually take action and, and get stuff out in the world. But um, I, I say that because in a similar way, maybe you can relate to this. It's a pet peeve of mine where, where there is this very predominant, like work, 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 grind, grind, grind. You know, uh, you got the, the action takers of the world. You got to get up earlier, 4.30 in the morning, whatever. And again, love it. That's their gift. Like keep beating that drum. But there are those of us out there who are not necessarily aligned in that way or, or, or wired in that way. And that we bring us a, a different skill set, a different gift to the table right. that yes, let's work hard, but also let's not um, devalue our gift and, and, and find different ways to where success might look a little bit different than, than the grinder, the hustler. You're, you're exactly right. Because it's not, you can't always just say like, here's the box. You have to fit in this box and that's the only way you're going to succeed. Like that's ridiculous when there's so much evidence out there of people doing it completely different from uh, the next person. And so it's not just like, Hey, you know, ignore the rules. It's find what works for you. What sets you up for success? You know, I love waking up early. I love, you know, having that morning time to learn and study and, you know, create content and all of that. I mean, I got some clients who just, you know, they tried the waking up early thing and they were dumb for the first five hours of the day. Yeah, that's <laughs> you know? I'm a like I can't, I, I'll, I'll pull all nighters. And then that night I'll hit 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock. And it's like second and, and, wind. And I'm like, right, and that's, I'm exhausted. How can I not be falling asleep right now? But my body's <laughs> like, it's go time. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I saw that growing up because like my brother's the same way. Like my brother, it hits like 11 PM and that's his day. Yep. It's like, you know, just that's when he's productive and creative and all that. Like for me at 11 PM, it's like, if I'm not laying down, I'm about to fall down. Like my body just shuts down. Yep. And so it's figuring out, like you're saying, like what works for you and then making that work and understanding, like, again, like, you know, we, we forget why we become entrepreneurs and why we want to own our own business. And yes, we want an insane amount of money. That's part of it. Right. Of course. But we also wanted freedom. And it just drives me crazy when you see people say, you know, well, you've got to do this. You've got to put in this time, you know, this kind of work. And it's like, now you're erasing all the freedom that that person wanted, which they're naturally going to resist now because freedom is their motivator. Mm. You know, I mean, that's the crazy part about it. So for me, like I'm massively motivated by freedom. So I needed to design a business that allowed me to, be around when my kids said their first words and took their first steps and, you know, these things, because I've got the dad that works, you know, 20 hours a day, it seems, and missed everything. Yep. And so it's like, okay, I've seen that side of it. His bank account looks awesome. And he's the most miserable person I know. Hmm. And if he was on here right now, he'd say that, like, I'm not being mean to him. Even he would say, please don't do what I've done. He wore hard work as a badge of honor. You know, he used to say like, oh, I hope I die on a job site because he's in construction. Like that would be his dream is just, you know, go out while he's working on a house. Yeah. The whole time, like even as a kid, I'm thinking, yeah, I don't want to do that. Like <laughs> that's not what I want. Yeah. And so it's, it's figuring out not just how to create a business that's going to be massively profitable because again, God bless us all for trying to be, you know, successful and do that. But as you're saying, there's so many other ways to measure success than just those numbers or just the number of hours that you put in. I'm a hundred percent with you, man. And freedom is a huge motivator for me too. And, and you're right. Like if you're never actually uh, practicing freedom, i.e. like not going, 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 
then you're, you're, you're searching for a unicorn. You can't achieve freedom by constantly being unfree. Um, and certainly you can work your ass off and, and there's going to be moments of that. But, um, there's, uh, when I was in Nashville not too long ago, where you're from, um, I was there for, a um, conference with Russell Brunson. And one of the things that he shares a story often is he went to Tim Ferriss and Tim Ferriss, you know, author of four hour work week. He asked him like, what, what is your typical day like? And apparently Tim said, Hey, my day is, is probably not very exciting to what you think it might be. Like I wake up kind of slow, have a cup of coffee or tea or whatever it is. And then, and then I spend, you know, days, weeks, maybe trying to think about what is that one thing that will make the biggest impact? Like that one thing. And that's when I think of like freedom and when I think of creating that lifestyle, to me, it's often what is, what is the sniper shot? Not the bum rush grind in the trenches all day, every day, but like, what is that one shot that will change the entire game, you know, the entire battle scene. Right. Um, so anyway. and, and see, and here, let me, if you don't mind, I'm going to use you as an example because this is how that leads to such interesting work. I don't know what your goals are with this podcast, but you know, if you sat there and thought of who's the unique guest I can get or what's the unique question I can ask, you're going to get so much more out of that than sitting there saying, oh, here's the top 100, you know, go to like Tony Robbins, Seth Godin, Gary Vaynerchuk, Grant Carter. Like, let me interview all these people that have been interviewed 800 million times, all asked to the same questions. Like, you know, is that going to even move the needle? Is that going to make people be like, oh, wow, that's really cool. Or is what it going to be you spending that time thinking and like that, I like that sniper mentality of like, what's that one thing I can do that's going to actually launch a conversation that really has meaning and really has impact and is unique and different because that's what the audience looks for. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And again, I think just to reiterate um, what we're talking about, like these are different approaches and you know, there's probably somebody listening right now that goes, it's thinking, oh, you guys don't get it. You know, it's all about action. You got to take action, which is totally cool and it fun. Is. And I get yeah. that. But there's probably some people, hopefully, that are th- listening to this going, oh, it's really nice to actually have somebody say that that's a valuable thing. That, that, that actually pulling back and not just putting your hand out and, and b- put your blinders on and go, 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 go might not be the best route for you, for that, mm-hmm. for that one person. And, and let me tell you, I, I'm a geek when it comes to testing some things. I'm not naturally analytical. So there's something about that challenge that appeals to me in trying to do it. And I spent six months of my life head down, working my face off. Like I'm going to get more done in that six month than anyone else will in like an entire six year period. And this is going to be awesome. And I'm going to show them. And during that six months, I had never been more miserable or unhealthy. My relationships were all tense and on edge. And honestly, the income increase was really minute because I wasn't doing meaningful work. I wasn't increasing my impact. I was just simply logging more hours. And so it goes back to what I said before, like the formula for success is that thoughts lead to actions, actions lead to results. Everyone who says, well, we need more action without changing those thoughts, they're not going to get the results they want. Mm-hmm. You've got to line up all three. It does take action. Absolutely. Of course, nothing happens till we do something. 
But again, if your thoughts behind those actions are all screwed up, you're never going to do the right things. And well, and I will say, if you don't know what to do, oftentimes the best thing to do is take action. And oh, even absolutely. if it's the wrong action, you're going to get feedback. And I think to, to the credit of all the massive action takers out there, a lot of them are going, yeah, exactly. Because that's when you figure out what works and what doesn't. And oftentimes sure. maybe you do take a wrong step forward. And then yeah. you and, forward. and I believe momentum is a very real thing. Yeah. And there is power in that. And so the more you can just be like, okay, let me just start going and let me see what happens. And you're building momentum, good things will happen. But see what often happens is by just going and taking action, that's when your thoughts start to change. Right. Because you do start to evaluate, well, what's working and what is it? And, you know, do I need to do more of this or more of that? And, you know, get in that headspace a little bit. It's the, it's like a one-two combo. Yeah. It's when you have both, that's when the results are insanely awesome. Mm-hmm. You can't just think a bunch of good things and you're going to be rich. And you can't just work 24-7 and you're going to be rich. It takes both to have the money and the lifestyle you want. Yeah, we have a lot in common. My father was a workaholic too growing up, barely saw him, did very well financially. I often tell people I got a lot of what I wanted, not necessarily what I needed uh, yeah. as a young boy growing up. And um, one of the things that I just, I've, when I got into like junior high and high school when his business really started to take off, uh, perhaps like yourself, like that was the greatest education for me was going in, seeing his business and looking at it and observing it in a way that um, made sense to me. And I could see certain things that, worked well, certain things that didn't, you know, um, I, I saw the life cycle of an entire business go from startup or infancy or conception, literally on a, on a piece of paper to, um, you know, adolescence. And, and literally I, I remember visiting and, and actually working with my father's company for a little bit while it was in an adolescent stage. And I'm not kidding. There was a lot of screaming, a lot of kicking, a lot of don't tell me what to do. I know what to do. Like, like <laughs> almost verbatim, that's what was happening in different meetings. And I'm like, wow, this is when they talk about it, company going through these stages <laughs> of adolescence, it's really what it is. And it occurred to me that at that point, the company really needed to mature. We needed to bring some professional managers in that knew how to, you know, mm-hmm. make strategic decisions, et cetera. But um, I, uh, I don't know why I got off on that for a second, but uh, I wanted to ask you, how do you, what's your advice on helping somebody get out of a funk? Mm. They're in a routine. What do they need to do to get out of that, to, to shake it up a little bit? Yeah, th- this is great. I think that there's a couple of things that you want to do. And I, I will say like, even myself and having the knowledge of this, I fall into those funks often. And there are certain things that I'm like, okay, got to go lean on these to help get out of it. One thing is you've got to shake up your environment. And that means if you are working, you know, from the same coffee shop all the time, go somewhere different, go the side of town, new place, new atmosphere. I know that sounds like overly simplistic, but you've got to change that up. If you're working, you know, from a home office, then go work on your patio. Uh, you know, if the weather's nice, like go sit outside and do that work or go rent a co-working space or, you know, whatever. If you work in an office building, see if you can work sometime, you know, remotely or whatever, like shake up that part. Also with your environment, shake up who you're having conversations with, man. It's really hard to be in a funk when you're meeting someone new and their passion and enthusiasm is firing you up. For sure. You know what I mean? Like, let's say, I, I wasn't, but let's say today, like, eh, I'm just kind of in a funk and it's just a hazy day and whatever, and I'm just kind of going through. And then out of nowhere, all of a sudden, you and I are having this conversation. It's going to change the course of my day. Yeah. It, you know, now, 
if I'm in a greater funk, then one thing doesn't change it. But this is what I'm saying, like do several things. So change up your physical environment, change up your friend environment. I'm not saying get rid of all your friends, but go meet some new people, have some interesting conversations, uh, you know, do some networking, you know, like that. The other thing is dramatically change what you're consuming. I think that we often forget that creatively, we are sparked by new ideas and challenges. So if you are an entrepreneur and all you read is marketing and business books, because that's what you love, I get it. But if you're in a funk, put all those on pause for a moment. Go read, you know, fiction or go read self-help or go read psychology, like go read something that is going to challenge you in a different way. Or, you know, if you never read a marketing or business book, then by all means, like go dive into that, right? You know, do those things. Um, You know, but you've got to mix up what your normal routines are. Uh, So for me, like I'll even, you know, if I'm in a funk, I will change the music that I listen to. And, you know, just have that little difference, you know, that's there. Um, I know this all sounds crazy, but I'm trying to always keep my mind busy. I will change, um, you know, the wallpaper on my phone. I will change my phone case. Drives my wife nuts. She's like, do you really need a new phone case? I'm like, yes, I do. Because I'm now bored and in a funk with this one. So I got to change this up, right? Like change anything up like that, that you can. Because what happens is then the things that you can't change up, your to-do list, your customers, you know, there are those things that are routine for a reason. You can't get rid of them. Well, then, okay, shake up all these little simple things that you can to help, you know, do it. But the other thing I'll tell you, depending on how deep the funk is, understand, man, there are days it is okay to close the laptop and just get away from it. Yep. You, you know, Slack can live without you. The text messages coming in, the inbox, all that, like, guess what? The world will not end just because you're not there for a few hours. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> you know, close it down and, you know, go outside, go play with your kids, go do something, go watch a movie by yourself, whatever it is do something to just shake that up because so often that's where we get in that funk is that we're stuck in a routine that's not really working for us. And instead of changing it, we just do it more. hundred percent. That's a brilliant list. The only two that I would add to that is food, change the food. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes I see people, you know, they're either drinking a lot or they're, they're eating crap food and yeah. that fuel is something that, that tends to slow you down. Um, and then also working out or moving, just literally getting up and doing 50 jumping jacks, you know, d- doing something to get the heart rate up has a yeah. tremendous uh, impact to. Man, I, I've got weights here in my office, not because I'm trying to get super jacked because obviously I'm not, but I have them there for exactly what you're talking about. There are times that like before this, I was like, all right, I'm going to do this five minutes, just get the blood flowing, just change my state of mind, change my energy a little bit. Man, you know, we so often we're just sitting staring at the screen all the time and it's like we're just moved from one screen to the other. I, I, as I told you, I was a little late to this call because I was coming from a physical therapy session. And one of the things I'm in my early forties now, so this is probably partly due to just life stage, but you know, I'm, my shoulders have been rolled forward. I've been at my desk (laughs) for the last decade and a half, you know, and she's like, what do you you know, you get up, you get to move around. I'm like, yeah, for you know, a decent amount of time, but it's crazy how much just those little conditioned routine habits affect your physiology, which then affects your thought, affects yeah, your man. energy. It's, it's all connected. Dude. I have had days where at the end of the day, when I'm finally done working, I'm thinking, did I move at all today? 
Like physically, <laughs> did I even adjust my Fever. chair at all? Like, have I just been frozen like a statue in this one spot right. all day? Man, right. I, I, I've totally had that. Are you, uh, do you have kids? I do. I have two kids. Yeah. Okay. And are do you work out of the house? I do. Yes. How do you, how do you manage that? Um, so I have a great wife who also homeschools the kids. So they're kind of busy for most of the day doing that. Also, because I've always worked from home, it's all the kids know. So they're a little bit used to it, but basically I manage it by having, um, a couple of little sort of rules in place and uh, me taking most of the responsibility. So one thing is if daddy's got the AirPods in, he must be busy. Don't talk to him. 90% of the time, I'm not doing anything. I just have a man. They're not even listening to music. I'm just doing it so they won't bother. Me, yeah. right? So there, there's that. Um, they also know like, Hey, when daddy's doing coaching calls, all right, like they go do their own thing. My clients know, Hey, I work from home. You may hear, you know, the kids, you know, hurt the dog or someone's in a fight or whatever. Just know, like, it's not affecting me, you know, and, and they love it. They want the lifestyle as well. So they're like, no, it's fine. And mm. it's, I can think one time maybe that, you know, something happened where the kids were really loud. Um, so it's really, you know, not that much of a problem. Um, but also then for me, uh, I, I'll just do these things of, you know, I, I use them to my advantage. So they're that healthy break in the middle of the day. Mm-hmm. Let me go see what they're doing. Let me go play with them for a minute. And I'm off, you know, the internet and screens and things like that. But then at the same time, they know, hey, when dad's working, like dad's working. Mm-hmm. But the coolest thing about it is, you know, we're talking about like sometimes how we start the day and I'm writing these intentions and I like reading. My son wakes up early and I remember this was years ago. I'm sitting outside on a Saturday morning, I'm reading and I'm taking notes and, you know, just in my zone with my coffee, he comes out with his books and he's like, I'm not going to talk to you. I'm just here to read. And I'm like, yeah, man. Okay. And that's something that he and I have done now for years. And yeah, he just picked up that habit from seeing me do it. And now, you know, he's kind of starting his day, you know, like that. Now his books are obviously completely different and, you know, they're probably not educational at all. In fact, I should probably even see what they are because they're probably bad for him. But, you know, it's like, it's this cool moment where he's not bothering me, but we're also here together. Right. You know, and, that, and that's a cool thing. So, oh, very cool. Uh, you know, that, that's it. And, you know, look, if there's ever something where it's like, hey, um, daddy's got to do something super important or whatever, my wife and the kids, they just leave for a while. Yeah. You know, hey, we're going to go do something or, you know, or I can leave. Um, that's another thing. I, I do break it up where, um, there are some days if I don't have calls, I go work from a coffee shop. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm an extrovert. I got to be around, you know, people and have some kind of reminder that life is happening. Humanity. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> so, so I'll do that um, to just, you know, kind of keep it fresh and keep it different. When I used to do, uh, I used to do real estate as well on the investing side of things. I lived in Florida and I would get, ex- in Florida, you have these zero lot lines where, uh, and, and these, you know, master built out communities and they had this you know, ingenious idea to put the mailboxes in one location. So the intention was all the, all the residents would come and you'd meet at the mail house, or whatever. I used to look forward to going to get the mail because I was so like, I'd be in my house doing my thing, sending out letters, answering phone calls, whatever. And I was like, Oh, sweet. I get to go out and I might, I might run into a human being and have an interaction. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Um, what, 
what would you say is being a guy that's lifestyle focused and impact focused, what, what is the impact that you seek to make when it's all said and done and, and you look back on your life, the, 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 the proverbial 90 year old rocking chair test, you're sitting in your rocking chair, you look back on your life. What is the thing? What or what are the things that you want to look at and go, damn, that was a hell of a ride. That, that was what I wanted it to be. Yeah. You know, I, I often, uh, in the typical business cliche, you know, kind of thing, is, you know, I want to, you know, die thinking that I created or influenced over a million leaders and like help them. But, you know, that just sort of sounds a bit like a marketing or business slogan, like something I'm supposed to say. At the end of the day, I want my legacy to simply be, John helped me get my mind right. Mm-hmm. Like helped me get my head straight. I think most entrepreneurs know what they need to do. They know what needs to be done. They don't believe in themselves. They don't have, you know, the right support system. They need someone to help guide them on yes to this opportunity or no to that opportunity. And, you know, is this strategy the right step or am I missing something? They don't need to be rebuilt. You know, it's not like they're missing, you know, 90%. They have 90%. They need help with the 10%. You know, that, that, that kind of thing. And so I think more than anything is, yeah, you know, I just want that. I want to be the kind of person that, um, you know, when I'm dead and gone, someone goes up to my kids or my grandkids or whatever, and they even remember me. Hey, that stuff that he taught, that's great. I, I, I love this topic, by the way, not to get morbid, but I look at some of the great authors and coaches and people that have already, uh, you know, unfortunately passed on. And I think about, you know, their legacy. And I I look for this stuff and and I'll be real personal with you and the audience. Um, One of the things that I pay attention to is a very famous author uh, passed away a couple years ago named Wayne Dyer and his family still runs his Instagram account sharing just quotes and things. Mm -hmm. And if you look on YouTube or Instagram and you see anytime someone has shared his content and you look at the comments, the number of people still posting to this day saying, wow, I miss him and needed to hear this today. I want that. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's what I want. Like, as I want, you know, all this freaking content that I'm creating, I want somebody by God to still be paying attention to it when, I, when I'm dust. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I want that. that. You know, it's, I, I so often, you know, sort of live in this fear of like, man, you know, my kids may go back and watch that video, but I want, the world to still be sad that I'm gone and still say, wow, that quote he had, like, that was really good. I like that insight. Yeah. You know, pure selfish, by the way, just pure, you know, ego, but. Well, it's, you know, there's there uh, in human needs psychology, they talk about the need for significance. And, you know, I think, I think there is an ego side of that significance for sure. But there's also the side that's more, I think of it on a slightly more spiritual side of things where it's like, I want to, I, I want all the hard work that I'm doing to be worth something. Like I hope it matters to somebody. Right. <laughs> there is a significance there that I, that I seek that I don't want to just be twiddling my thumbs for no reason. Like I hope it does make an impact and help somebody. So sure. I think that makes sense. That's a legitimate. Uh, so let me share something w- w- with you and your audience that I did that completely changed my life. This one little exercise is, and I don't remember who taught it. I think several people have probably taught it over time. But I sat down one day and wrote my own eulogy. Like, this is what I want said at my funeral. And then I looked and thought, if I died today, 
would any of that be true or would they be lying? <laughs> what would that be? It's and a I, scary exercise. <laughs> it is because I realized, holy crap, there's yeah. very little on this that right now I feel confident would be true. The yeah. rest of this, I got to step it up. Yep. And that motivated me more than any self-help book or motivational speaker or anything like that was looking at that list and thinking, holy crap, like if I go, who really knows this side of me? You know, awesome. and, and I realized, you know, that maybe a couple of close friends, certainly my wife, but it was like, besides my inner circle, would anyone else be saying, oh yeah, that was him? Yeah. You, you know what I mean? And so it was oh, like, yeah. oh, I got some adjustments to make and still do. But that right there changed my entire outlook and sense of urgency and growth and all of that. It's one of the most powerful exercises I think anybody can do. I mean, it's that and also how do you want to be remembered beyond beyond the eulogy, you know, mm-hmm. uh, which obviously that leads into that. Like he was. Yeah, absolutely. Right. It's pointing towards the same thing. But um, while we're sort of on this topic, um, because and I know this is obviously this is a personal question. You don't necessarily have to dive into it necessarily, but I do think it's totally related to what you're talking about with with mindset and and like you were saying earlier that a lot of uh, entrepreneurs struggle with, you know, the self doubt and uh, I don't feel like I'm good enough or this, that, or nobody wants to hear this, right. That, that sort of um, negative trait. Right. And I have found often that comes from childhood experience. Right. Mm -hmm. And you you know, you talked about your father being gone a lot and then dealing with the depression. I don't know how much of that, uh, if any, it was linked for you, but do you get into any of that with your, with your, clients and uh and even if you don't like is there any nuggets that you can share on on that on that relationship because i i do some coaching on the side too with with men and women but um so many guys are struggling with mm-hmm. lack of father figure in their life they just yeah just a real solid male figure man you're exactly right and i do share with clients um you know i may even scare them sometimes because i don't hold anything back i'm not afraid to share all of that i'm in the guy that will go intense, you know, the first time we talk, <laughs> you know, kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, I remember being in a church group and uh, we do these like life groups at people's houses and everyone was like, talk about like your past and like the worst struggle you had. And it was the first night. So none of us knew each other. And they were like, you know, who wants to go first? And I'm thinking, you know, shit, I speak for a living. Like I should yeah. go first and break the ice. So I'm like, well, listen guys, I tried to commit suicide three times and this and that. And everybody like, they're just staring at me and I'm like, Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I get intense really quick. Yeah. <laughs> my, my bad. Caveat. But, but I do share that stuff with clients because I want them to know, not like, hey, I've been there, but let them know this is why I've learned some of these things, you know, along the way. Mm-hmm. And I, I think what I've learned, especially with that self-doubt, is um, two, two sort of exercises to, to, to go through. One is you've got to play fair with yourself. So if you're going to sit there and say, I suck at this. I'm too fat. I'm too whatever. It's like, okay, that's fine. List all that, but you got to be fair and list all the good things too. You know, that's just, I mean, that's the thing because if we looked at someone who only said good things about themselves, we're like, Oh, well they're an egotistical prick and they should make a list of the things they're not good at. So they have a good humble balance. Well, the same is true when we're beating up on ourselves. That's not fair either. You've got to acknowledge like, wait a minute. Yes. I don't like all these other things about me, but 
I've got some good things going on here. Yeah. And then the other part is, as we are often having this negative self-talk, we have to stop and actually ask ourselves, is that true? Like, is that true? You know, so sometimes, like, especially with men, their father wasn't around, so they think I'm worthless. Go away. Is that true? You know, you're not loved by anybody simply because he messed up? Often then we can stop and say, well, no, actually, my mother, my grandparents, my siblings, or, you know, what, like, we have, you know, some other instances. Mm-hmm. And that's a really powerful thing, because when we're in our own head, the narrative we want to tell, we tell it like, that's the truth, and mm-hmm. it's absolute, and that's it. And mm-hmm. so by simply asking that, is that true question, it forces you to break it up. And I'm going to tell you, I've had moments where I've been like, you know, full of self-doubt, and I'm like, I suck at this, and nobody cares about me. And this is a waste of time and I'm not good. And I'll say like, is that true? And I'm like, hell yes, it's true. And then I'll be driving on the road the next day. And I'm like, it's not true. Like, that's mm-hmm. not true. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I have some evidence that points against that. Mm-hmm. Doesn't change the feeling like that, but it gets the brain working where it's a little more productive instead of so counterproductive. You familiar with that? that narrative. Yep. Are you familiar with uh, Byron Katie's stuff? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So that's the thing, like, right, like her, you know, she's got that great exercise of, you know, diving into that. Absolutely. Well, and I, I love her, the, this, the third question that I forget what the, the, the first one is, you know, well, what's going on? The second one is, is it true? And then the third question, is it really true? Because <laughs> like you said, you're, you're going to have that sort of knee jerk reaction, like, yeah. oh, well, hell yeah, it's true. I've always been dealing with this shit. It's always, you know, I've always, people never respond to my phone calls. It's all, but that third question, is it really true? Like, all right, let's get really, really. Yeah, man. And, and a funny story about her. So I bought her book. Uh, she's got a great book called Loving What Is. Yes. I bought that book. And because I knew that it would change how I felt about myself, I didn't read it for years. <laughs> of course. Of course. I, Help me know. Right. right. I, had, I had it sitting on my shelf and I'm like, I'm not even going to read that. And then uh, my wife found it at like Barnes and Noble one day and she was like, Hey, have you ever you know seen this? Because this looks like exactly what you need. And I'm like, oh, honey, um, I've owned that book for a while. <laughs> Just haven't read it because sometimes we make the misery we put ourselves through a habit. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, th- this is going to show my age. I think you know we're in the similar thing. I turned forty this year. You know, we grew up in the grunge days, right? And yeah. There's a lyric um, that Kurt Cobain uh, from Nirvana sung one time that said, I find the comfort in being sad. And that's always stood out to me because I knew exactly what he meant. You know, at some point, depression becomes a habit. You, you know, beating ourselves up, self-doubt. These, it becomes our comfort zone. Yeah. And we all know we don't like doing anything out of our comfort zone. Yeah. So that's what we have to be cautious of is like, wait a minute. I've had this negative narrative that I'm living out for so long. I'm kind of okay with it. <laughs> well, <laughs> there's, there's genuine payoffs. Like, <laughs> right, I mean, right. like, well, and that's a good question to ask is you don't necessarily think of like, what's the advantage of this, whatever thing, you know, being depressed, right? Well, mm-hmm. you don't have to get up and work. You don't have to face your fears. You don't have to get outside your comfort zone. Like, Oh, I can kind of stay in this room. So there, there are payoffs to, to the things that we actually don't want in our life, but the payoff uh, of changing seems to be, or I mean, the, the, the uh, pain of changing seems to be more obscure and more painful than, than changing in the first place. So yeah. And, and like, I'll share something real personal with everybody on how all this like last little bit even ties together. Um, because my father was always gone and always working, 
he and I's relationship has always been distant. I mean, we love each other. It's, you know, it's not a bad relationship. We don't, you know, hate each other or anything like that, but it's, it's cold. You know, it's like, we're not buddies or anything like that. And my dad's old school, right? He's still got a flip phone. He's never used a computer. So he can't tell anybody what I do for a living. He doesn't know the name of my book. He doesn't know any of that. Hmm. And two years ago, I had a groundbreaking self-discovery realizing that I wasn't putting my content out in the world and my message as much as I should, because in my mind, I was thinking, he's still not going to care. He's still not going to know. And instead of thinking of all the people that I could impact and help, I was thinking, what's the payoff to me? Yeah. You're right. Like, oh, well, he's still not going to know the name of my book. He's still not going to be able to tell people what I do. And thankfully that kind of pissed me off enough of like, you know what? I'm tired of him holding me back. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to start putting myself out there more, but you know, that's just a struggle that I had. Oh, I, I think that that, I think so many people have that. And another one too, is just how your story, like, you know, you're, you've shared already in this call that, you know, he's miserable, that, you know, he wasn't there. I've shared a little bit of that too. It's like, those are uncomfortable things to, t- I don't want him to hear that necessarily. Like that's, I don't want to hurt, hurt him. Like, cause I know he did his highest sensor, right? I know he mm-hmm. did his best and my God, like he's given, he's provided my family with an incredible, uh, legacy really of, of mm-hmm. and hard work. The, the business has done great. And at least with my father's situation, he's, my mom passed on about 12 years ago and then he ended up coming out of the closet and, and he has certainly shifted from then. And he's been on a, a path of self-discovery and, and personal growth that has actually, we've gotten to be a lot closer because of that. But, but I remember him telling me stories about his dad and this, yeah. it's, this, he, it's the same story well, that he had with his dad. Yeah. And, and my dad's father was physically abusive. Um, he actually died. My father was five years old when his dad died okay. and he saw him die. Oh, wow. Very tragic event. So my dad had not only no father figure, but the example he had was horrible. Mm. And, you know, he might have was never abusive or anything like that. So in many ways, like, again, you know, he was great. It just wasn't the time. Right. right? Just, you know, missed that. And he knows it and he regrets it. Today, I'm cool with it because he's an awesome grandfather. And it's like, you know what, man, that's cool. Seeing my kids know him completely different than my brother and I did. I'm like, that's a big win. I'm, I'm down with that, you yeah. know, but uh, it, it's really funny when I speak at events, my opening line to kind of throw people off and show this dry sense of humor. Uh, I say to people that I'm so excited to be here <laughs> I say, I know my father's looking down on me right now. And you know, they get all like, Oh, and I'm like, he's not dead. He's just very condescending <laughs> and everybody loves it. So I, I opened with that at an event uh, in my town where my father has you know, lived and done business forever. <laughs> and I say that line. And when I was done, there's like five people there that know my dad. And they're like, you're exactly right. He is. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, well, you know, at, at least you know, it, it's, it's not a lie. <laughs> oh, yeah. that's brutal. Yeah. What you does know, he say? To that? What does he say to this? You know what? I think, um, you know, he still doesn't get it. He still doesn't understand what am I talking about? Why would someone listen? Um, at the same time, there's this respect because I'm doing what he did, which is let me go out and start my own business and take care of my family and, you know, blaze that trail. And, that. you know, so there, there's a bit of this, like, maybe in some ways we're too much alike, <laughs> you know, to <laughs> have that. Um, but my dad also like, you know, 
my, my dad's one of those people that if you need help, he's there. And if you don't, he's gone mm-hmm. and I don't need his help. And so there's then that distance. But at the same time, I know he's looking at it like, okay, cool. John's one person I don't have to worry about mm-hmm. because my dad's business, they have maybe 60 employees and probably 45 are related to my dad. Mm-hmm. But like, I'm like the only like male Morgan that doesn't work for the, <laughs> the company. Yeah. And so my dad carries that weight of, if I don't make this work, I ruined the whole family. Mm. But <laughs> like everybody. That's a lot of pressure. It, it is a lot of pressure. And so I think he has a bit of this, like, I don't get John. He's different. You know, in some ways, like that becomes this black sheep thing, but it also becomes this attaboy, like, you're, you, you're doing what I did, yeah. which was blaze a new yeah. trail, yeah. you know, and break those patterns. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I think sometimes as entrepreneurs, we don't stop and think like, wait a minute, you know, our parents really influenced our relationship with money and our relationship with, with, with work and all these things. And, you know, it's not that we all got to come to terms with that. I'm sure a lot of people just had these great parents and that's fantastic. But, you know, again, it's like, okay, you know, what did we maybe not get that we needed? And those are some areas we got to fill those gaps. Oh, hundred percent. And, and I, even the ones that have perfect parents, I was talking to a friend of mine and, you know, she was struggling. She's like, I, you know, I can't get, can't find a good guy. Like, and, and, I'm, and so I was like, well, tell me about your father. He was amazing. He was perfect. Like my parents are so perfect. And that became the problem. The problem was they're too perfect and she right. could never live up to never find a guy that was as good as her dad or whatever. It's like, we're almost, I don't want to say necessarily destined to have like right. those infallible uh, voids in our life, but it just, I haven't met anybody that doesn't have one yet. You're right. But <laughs> I will has say a relationship issue. as the father of a daughter, I want her to have that problem. <laughs> As a father to a daughter, I know she has that problem. Like I know I'm failing, you know, I'm doing that the best I can. And I let her know. I'm like, honey, I'm, I'm, I'm giving everything I got, but I know I'm not, yeah. you need, you know? Yeah. But it's, it, you're, you're right. I mean, it, it, it's a crazy thing. And that's why I believe very much so that like success at home really stimulates success in the business. Yep. And you know, sometimes if you want a significant shift in your business results, maybe that's the place to start. I, I tell people all the time that income improvement follows self-improvement. You know, you want your money to be better. You want better clients. You want a better brand or a better audience. Then of course you've got to be better, yeah. but the same is true in everything. You know, if I want my kids to be better, maybe I should start being a better father. If I want my marriage to be better, well, let's start with me being a better husband. And not saying that it's all on us, but I'm saying let's first start with what we can control and what we can influence, improve those areas, and then watch how the needle moves. You know, success isn't in a silo. You know what I'm saying? It's not like, oh, hey, um, you know, my marriage is great, but that has no influence on my business. But, you know, yeah, it does. Talk to the entrepreneur whose marriage isn't great right now. Yeah. And look at the stress and the heartache in their eyes while they're still trying to grow this business. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, I, I, to me, I, I like that idea of radical responsibility. I like that idea of making it all on my shoulders because then I always have the ultimate opportunity to change it. To, right. Power to, to do something about it. If, if, if I'm just a victim in it and you know, I'm not trying to say that I'm never, that I don't ever play that card, but I'm just saying <laughs> it, like it's it, to return back to that uh, empowered state of mind that, 
yeah, I, I can make an impact. I can make a difference. When my kids are driving me nuts, I'm, I, I was, you know, if, if I am, have enough uh, awakened cells in my brain to, to think about it for a second, what am I doing? What, what am I frustrated at? And what, how am I not doing that myself? Because it's almost 100% of the time, it's because I'm raising my voice or it's because I'm tired or it's because I'm, you know, not being resourceful or that I'm being lazy and I'm getting on their case. I'm like, well, what have you done today? <laughs> All yeah. right. Why don't I shut my mouth and go do what I'm wanting them to do? And like you said, man, they are they are just little sponges and will model exactly what uh, you put out in the world. Well, one of the greatest moments of my life was realizing that all of this, for better or worse, is my fault. Mm-hmm. And I remember like I was struggling in business at the time. And like my first year in real estate, for example, I sold two houses and one was the one my wife and I bought but I'm still counting it because it sounds better to say two than one, right? So it wasn't a good year. But I remember when I discovered like this concept that you and I are talking about of like, hey, it's on us. Like we have some control over it. We have some influence. I remember calling my wife and I was like, I've got good news and bad news. And she was like, all right, what? And I was like, the bad news is I'm the reason I'm not successful. And she's like, so what's the good news? And I'm like, I'm the reason I'm not successful. Like if I'm the only problem, well, I can fix that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that, that's I almost found freedom in that. Exactly. You know, so that's the thing is like so often, like you said, we do want to play the victim, and that's an easy role for us to all fall into. But again, let's shift it. If we're motivated by freedom, let's find freedom in the fact that wait a minute, if I get better in this area and that area, it's going to affect everything. Awesome, that's exciting. There's freedom there. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, before we wrap things up, I'd love to get a uh, case study. Like what's, what's a really cool case study that you have of somebody that's come to you, struggled, can't, you know, they're hitting the glass ceiling and you've worked with them and, and helped them punch through. Do you have a, is there something that comes to mind? Yeah. So I had a guy who was in uh, my audience for almost nine years, uh, you know, following me and we knew each other online. You know, one of the things it's like, oh yeah, we're friends, but we'd never actually spoken or you know, had any real communication. It was all through social media, which is, you know, very cool. And he reached out to me and he said, I'm ready. And I said, okay, what are you ready for? And he was like, I'm ready to get coached by you, but you may not want to work with me. And I was like, all right, man, like, tell me what's going on. Well, he was like, I'm in therapy because my marriage is almost over are we're losing our house in foreclosure and my business is going under and you know, I don't even know that I can pay you. And I was like, all right, like let's look at everything. And so um, we got started and I remember in month two, his payment declined and he called me. He was like, I don't have it. And I was like, I'm going to keep coaching you. Like when you get it, you'll pay me. But like it's go time. And I didn't want to leave him stranded. And basically, uh, seven to eight months later, his marriage, they were having weekly date nights. Mm. He saved his home and his business was generating a hundred thousand dollars a month. Mm. So by the end of the year with that, he had gotten out of a bad business partnership, started a new business that was then making six figures a month. His relationship with his kids improved, their grades improved, which I thought was really interesting, just that snowball effect. And all of it was, this guy's really, really smart. He understands marketing, understands business. Every single bit of it was me coaching him through 
avoiding that self-sabotage. You know, he was playing the victim hard. He was beating himself up hard. Like there were sometimes the phone calls were me giving tough love. And sometimes it was me being a cheerleader mm-hmm. and letting him know, like, you can do this. But he had that significant turnaround, you know, because he changed how he saw himself. Mm-hmm. You know, he started to realize, like, wait a minute, I do have some value. I do bring some things to the table. And as he started to embrace that and start doing business his own way, he was miserable in the business partnership because he didn't like what they were selling. He didn't like how it was structured. And I'm like, well, you're never going to try, you know, going back to what we talked about with action. He hated his business. He's never going to take action on it. I was like, you've got to end that and start a business that you at least like so that you don't mind (laughs) working on it. And and so it changed everything. Um, And, you know, in us, that's like one case study. The, I say this not as, oh, look at me, I'm a good coach, but the power of working on our mindset. Uh, I don't know. I know a lot of coaches better than me. Like there's a gazillion that are better than me, but I don't know any coach that has the retention that I do. Like I tell my clients when they hire me, I'm like, please let me know that you like me because we're going to be together a while. I've had one client who's been with me 11 years. You know, others have been, you know, five years, seven years, and some of them, because they're all across the world, we've never met face to face, Mm -hmm. you know, but the reason that they stay is because this stuff works. You know, it's like when you understand that your thoughts influence your actions, all right, then let's improve those and then let's grow. And then now we need to figure out the next level of thoughts and the next level, you know, of actions and, you know, those kind of things. And That's what it's all about. Yep. Are you still uh, you still taking people at the hundred dollar a month rate? No. <laughs> Actually, well, we grandfather that in. Yeah, somewhat. I will say, um, my group coaching is ninety nine dollars a month. Okay. Uh, so you know, and, and that is we have. Um, this isn't a pitch for anybody, but we do two calls a month live, um, where I come on and I'm talking for an hour, just you know, delivering a topic, and then we do Q and A, and then we have a private Facebook group which is both um, for people to ask questions, but also it's about that accountability. So on Mondays, all the members come and they write their goals for the week. Like these are the outcomes. On Friday, we share our victories. Did you hit them or not? And it's really encouraging. And what the cool thing about it is we've got people and then we've got some people making, you know, multiple seven figures per month and like just crazy stuff. And then we've got some people who are literally just starting out. Mm. They're all over. Every race, nationality, we're in seven different countries it's awesome. It's a great mix, you know, of people. But you know, the thing is, is I look, of course, I love making money. That's business. But for me, going back to the lifestyle stuff we've talked about, I want the right people. Yeah. And the right people are rarely the ones that pay the most money. Mm. You know, the right people are the ones that want to grow, they want to improve, they like helping others, and they're just cool to hang around. Yeah. You know, that like, I know, inevitably, my clients travel through Nashville. And when they do, they're like, we want to go out to eat with you and Brooke. And yeah. I don't want that client that tells me they're coming through town. And I'm like, I don't want to be with them. <laughs> I don't want to hang out with them. I want to be excited. So it's like, I don't want everybody in that. I want the right people. Yeah. Love that, man. Where could somebody go if they are interested to follow up with you and know more about you? Sure. They can go to johnmichaelmorgan.com and find out more about me and the programs and everything that they would ever want to know. Um, and it's got links to all my social profiles and all that. Awesome. Dude, it's been uh, a real pleasure. I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad we got that sort of weird uh, connection synced Absolutely, up. Absolutely, man. Yeah. yeah. This was a blast. I appreciate it. Thanks, man. All right. Take care.